What's up, everybody? Before this episode of the podcast, I want to let you know that we are now live on YouTube with video episodes of At the Elephants. So please head on over to YouTube, type in At the Elephants with Rob Morris, and subscribe now. You could even go watch this episode. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to At The Elephants with Rob Morris. I'm Rob Morris, your host, and I am so excited to have you guys listening to this very special episode of At The Elephants. Um, We are doing a collaboration with the cast and crew of Bent uh, by Martin Sherman, which is being performed in Brooklyn starting on February 6th, coming right up, and uh, we're doing a little cross-promotion together. And I'm really excited that today we're going to be talking with one of the cast members, Mr. Michael Calciano, drama class of 2015. He's reprising his role uh, as Greta in the uh, production. He was in the original 2015 production that was performed at Keys to the Kingdom. So uh, let me give you a little background on exactly what this is and what we're doing. And it'll keep coming up because we did... I think seven of these episodes, uh, we're going to be bringing it to you every damn day until the show opens, which we're very excited about. Uh, I say we, so let me start there. Um, Kira Geiger, uh, who is also in the class of 2015, uh, she is one of the producers and the marketing manager on this production of Bent. And we got to DMing on Instagram about the idea of collaborating and then we decided like let's do a video so basically um, she and I got together and scheduled uh, seven different interviews via Skype and we got a nice uh, setup so you can go watch this episode uh, on YouTube right now if you want with Michael Um, but what you're hearing right now is exclusive to the podcast so I'm giving you the full background go straight into the interview on YouTube so basically The class of 2015, uh, School of Drama, back in the day when they were seniors, decided to, for Keys to the Kingdom, which is a program that started um, right around the time that they were there, uh, they're one of the earliest classes to do it, and the whole program was, okay, you've got your long day of arts classes, and then you've got to go to rehearsal all night, and then at like 11 o'clock at night, if you want, even though you have homework that better be done tomorrow... You guys can put on your own plays. So they would submit these plays. Uh, The dean at the time, Carl Forsman, would, uh, I think, probably work with them to determine which ones were going to get done and in what time slots. So one of those, and it's still going on now, The Keys to the Kingdom. It's a great little program. They do the shows maybe still in the uh, RJR screening room, which used to be a uh, little movie theater classroom for um, DMP. And they kind of commandeered it and turned it into the Keys to the Kingdom Theater. And um, so in 2015, I happened to be uh, on campus at the time. I was working in High Point teaching, and I caught this production of Bent. And so the first thing I heard about it was they uh, did, a, I think, a GoFundMe uh, to raise money to do the show. And I kicked him a few bucks because I was like, I love this show. The idea of you guys doing it again sounds great. And then that's how I kind of got to talking to Kira about it because she was one of the producers. She sent me a text about, you know, thanks for the donation. And I said, oh, it's great. We got to chatting about the show. And uh, so I'm so excited to bring you this series. It's going to be great. We're talking to almost everybody from uh, School of the Arts who's involved in this production, from the stage manager to the director to the cast, you know, 
we're going all over the place. So uh, we're going to start with Mr. Michael Calciano. And uh, we got Josh Popa coming. We got Will Bethman coming. We got Alex Bodine coming. We got Mariah Pepper coming. We got uh, Emma Coulter and her dad, Steve Coulter, coming to the show, both NCSA alums. I'm super excited about this. So please enjoy the episode. If you do want to check out the video version, it is on YouTube. Go follow us over there and subscribe. But with no further ado, my dear, dear friend, Mr. Michael Calciano. Um, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Good. How are you? I'm good. I I'm, haven't... On at, I'm on at the elephants. You're on at the elephants right now. It's happening. The time has come. It. I, I, and I should clarify, as it's true for everybody else I'm going to talk to, this is not like your main episode. We'll have a main episode where you and I talk more. We get more into the Calciano as it is. You know I what I mean? I was hoping. I was like, does this disqualify me? Absolutely not. Like, I just oh, did a 20-minute oh, episode with Kira where I have to convince her to let me post it, even though she doesn't want me to. Um, <laughs> but she did, it was great. It was awesome. No, we'll, we'll do a full um, interview. We may do it this way um, because with me being in Austin right now, it's, uh, this is, like, my main way to be able to get to people. Um, yes. So it may come up that way. But one way or another, we'll do one that's not all about this show. Um, but let's – okay, so let's – we'll say – starting the actual bent interview right now okay um but you know i don't know if you've listened to my show much but i do not premeditate very well i'm not good at like i don't have a list of questions here to ask you i just want to talk to you about the show um so you're doing bent again you did it five years ago right exactly Uh, just tell me a little bit about what it was like when you did it the first time um, we were just talking about this today. It was a Keys to the Kingdom uh, production, and uh, it was crazy because it was uh, we would rehearse like eleven at night to like one in the morning, and like we were rehearsing like when we could. So it was uh, a lot more rushed in a way. Uh, we had a lot of time working on it, but if doing it now, I'm like, oh, relaxed. We're here. We're doing this. This is what we're doing. We're at the time originally. Right felt like there was a million things going yeah it's tough right because that is the whole format of keys to the kingdom and uh i think technically the first keys to the kingdom thing that qualified uh was how i learned to drive because we were you know it was a directing project but uh we did that together and uh it was in the screening room and it was the first uh, theatrical production if i remember correctly that was done in that space uh, so it, it, it really, if I remember Carl telling me, it was like, let's see if we could do something in there. And then if it works, this is the idea I have. And it'll go in that space if it works. Uh, I like to think that production went pretty well. I uh, got some pretty good feedback. You're a huge part of that, buddy. Uh, but I loved seeing all of the stuff that got done in that room after we did it. Because... Yeah. When you're in such a tight space, and for anyone who's listening or watching, the RJR screening room was previously a screening room for DMP where they would show movies and occasionally have video conferences. It was super underutilized. I don't know exactly what they're doing it for now, but I think Keys to the Kingdom is still a thing. Uh, so It still is. Just, just talk to someone today. They're still doing it. I love that. It's so great, yeah. and it's such a... 
I love the way that it works specifically because they say, we are not going to give you any extra time to do this. Yeah. You only get to do this if you can fit it in with all yeah. the other stuff that you're doing. So the conditions you, you just described. Yeah. yeah. Well, you got to yeah. want it and you got to figure out how to fucking do it because yeah. it is not set up for you to like, oh, oh, they want to do a play on their own. Well, let's cut their classes down a little bit and make sure they have time. No, nah, fuck that. If you think you can do something else, it has to be something else. Yep. And so you guys really soaked in that. But now do, are you guys dealing with something similar? Do you have day jobs or anything that's keeping you from focusing on the show at all? Um, I mean, yes, I'm sure. sure you got I personal know, lives. Right? Everyone's things. But yeah, I'm like juggling a few like side hustles and other things. Yes. So there is a little bit of that. But I think a lot of us are very much like down for like, you know, we, we've blocked out the time for the rehearsal and we have like a good amount of, you know, full rehearsal schedule. So, yeah, it feels like there is more time for some reason than it did at school. Are you yeah. playing the same part that you played? Yeah. So talk yeah. to me I... about her. <laughs> yes. I'm Greta. Um, she's a drag queen in like the 1930s Berlin scene. So it's not like your RuPaul's Drag Race drag queen. She's a little grungier. Um, she's like a total mom, business owner. She's uh, harsh but loving. She's like so many things. And I'm so excited to get to play her again because I don't think I fully uh, – I, I don't want to like poo-poo my earlier self, but I don't know how uh, – uh, I, I wasn't – I didn't know the, the drag world so much or understand totally what it was for. I tried to, but now I think I have a deeper understanding of that. Um, so you've spent and, more time in the drag world since you did the show? Yeah. yeah in what capacity? You. Thank you, RuPaul's Drag Race, but watching that show and not just it's not it is a different kind of drag because it's the 1930s. Of course, but you understand the spirit of it from watching that show, right. which I didn't do before. And uh, yeah, once I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like holding up a mirror to society in a way. And I, I know like RuPaul, I think, says it's best. Like we're all born naked and the rest is drag. Like it's like you know, putting that mask on and, and when it's so absurd, like a man dressed as a woman, like we're all putting costumes on. Right. And when I put this costume on, you're going to listen to me. And that I think is like the power of it that, um, I'm really excited to, to do this time. It's really curious, right? How drag has evolved. Uh, you know, obviously it's a huge part of our mainstream culture now, which who, you know, would have thought that might ever even happen because the right, whole idea right. behind drag and please correct me if I'm wrong in this regard, but it is a rebellion. You know, yes, there is something exactly. deeply rebellious about this because you are fundamentally saying to society, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't want yeah, you have, you sorry. want me to do this. Maybe I'll do it sometimes. I'm not doing it all the yeah. fucking time because sometimes I want to be like this, despite yeah. what you say is allowed or whatever. But one of the things that I think is funny, I was just thinking about this the other day in, in regards to drag in general. For a long time, the British in particular, drag was like the funniest thing you could do. Yeah. It was like British straight men who were not yeah. drag queens Right. Would do drag in like Monty Python and stuff like that. And it was like this. And I don't know if it's something about the British sensibility of humor or whatever. And it kind of plays in America. We definitely did. You know, it's like that's one of the reasons why Tootsie is funny. Yeah. 
it's or Mrs. Fun- Doubtfire. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We fundamentally are like, oh, that's not how that's supposed to be. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like that's maybe falling off, though, because with the mainstream nature of it, it's like, is it that funny anymore to see, you know, a, a, a man we know is just a straight man playing a character in a movie dressed like a woman? Like, is that really entertaining anymore? And I think without... Right some of the depth that you're talking about in particular of especially the time period and understanding the culture and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you could even do that anymore. Like, could you make Mrs. Doubtfire again? I don't know. I feel like I probably mean, not. Except, well, they're doing are. the musical. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but I know what you mean. If yeah, it wasn't it's, already it's, a movie. It's a different thing though. I think like that's important. Like the, I agree. There is like this thing. I saw a show and like, there was like a, the gag was a straight man dressed as a woman. And I was like, it's not hitting in the same way. I think a straight man dressed as a woman who's like hilarious and knocking it out of the park. Like there's a, there's an, there's, it's not just putting on the clothes that's going right. to like give you the, um, the effect that you're looking for, which right. I think people relied on really heavily. And now it's like, no, you got to do something. You got to like make me question something or make me laugh or make me see something differently. Absolutely. Otherwise it plays like uh just like a farce, you know, it's like Charlie's yeah. aunt or something like that, which granted done well yeah. is hilarious oh, yeah. because That's especially in that context, it's like, you know, here's a guy who does not want to be in drag. Like he right. is, he is being put in this position by his friends who are like, no, no, you got to do this. And so, yeah, I, I love the idea that you guys are, are, you know, sort of plunging into this old world. So what are you, what are you finding? You know, you've already kind of touched on some of it, but what are you finding? You know, we just talked about it, right? We've got this mainstream world we live in now, 20, 30 years ago, it was very like, ooh, 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 ooh. What are you experiencing as you do research, as you work on this character that puts it in the thirties that says like this, this was drag at the time. I mean, obviously as best as we can, guess you know are you are you studying uh writings of people from around that time who are doing that kind of stuff are you what what is what is that for you that research process and then what are you finding yeah it's been really cool to dive into that uh world of like 1920s uh 30s berlin and around the world it's like the pansy craze there was a huge like boom of of uh queer identity and people saying like hey we're here and then being kicked out of America and then being kicked out of like all these countries. Did you say the pansy and, craze? Yeah, the pansy. Is craze. that is that the defining era? Is that what you kind of I didn't yeah, know that it, label was on that. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's more it's actually like an I think it's pansy craze is specifically like a more American thing. But they were kind of driven out of um, of every country where where uh, homosexuality was kind of booming was quickly quieted down and and hmm. uh, condemned, and uh, so it's kind of like people moved from like place to place. Where's safe for us to go? And France and Berlin were these like safe havens with these booming like nightlife and communities of people. Um, and that, so like those places, like these clubs and these places were like, it was out of necessity. It was a place to belong. It was a place mm. where, um, you know, you could, you could wear women's clothing or you could hold hands with another guy and like whatever it was or another woman or wh- whatever. Um, and so all of it, it was way more out of this, uh, just a necessity and that and I think 
that is like diving into the research again. Like, and that's also why it's so sad that it all got, you know, ripped away. That it's like, this was, there was finally, I mean, we're working on a scene in the play and he's talking about, um, you know, they were trying to make homosexuality legal and like all, all these things that there was progress being had and it all just, you know, got destroyed. Right. Um, yeah. So understanding like kind of the stakes of that, that when you're coming in and singing a drag number, it is not just for fun. It's, right. it, it is fun, but it's, um, your only chance to kind of express yourself. Yeah, for sure. And, and I appreciate the stakes, but I was actually, I was just talking to uh, Kira as well about it. It's, it feels like, because Greta's funny. Like, yeah. like she, she's definitely bringing humor into the play. And we were talking about how it's easy to forget when we do these period pieces that take place in such a dramatic and scary and oppressive and you know oh my god it's just like there's so much weighing on us the stakes are so high people are getting killed and yet uh, especially more recently with like jojo rabbit and inglorious mm. bastards and it's like there is some real humor not just in the writing of telling the stories but in portraying the characters it's like when we deal with tragedy we're funny not everybody, mm -hmm. but lots mm -hmm. of people process it that way. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I always remembered from this show, uh, you know, studying it and then seeing you guys do it the first time was like, you can't lose your sense of humor when you tell these stories because yeah. it is a fact that people right. who were dealing with it at the time, who also didn't realize the scope of what was to come, are going to find ways to laugh through it, to, yeah. you know, get through it through humor and stuff like that. And then you end up finding these plays that are, or movies or whatever, that are very serious, but you're laughing your ass off at these jokes. And you're almost like, is that too dark of a joke? And it's like, hey, they were there. They can yeah. make the joke. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like how we deal with things now. You know, uh, there are people, you know, Colbert goes on every night and has to make a joke about kids in cages. It's yeah, not yeah. making light of the tragedy, right. but it is how so many of us as human beings process it. And being in the 30s doesn't mean that you had no sense of humor. Right, exactly. And the, the play does that so beautifully. It starts like a, like, I remember first reading it. It starts like a gay rom-com. Like, it really yeah. does. It's like a joke after joke and you're having a great time and that's also what makes it so tragic is when that does start to disappear you know but right. but there is humor throughout as well because there has to be you know or else what are we what are you fighting for you know yeah no true shit i i think that that's a that's that's a great way to put it right and i'm, I'm that sentiment is very boldly in the play like what are we fighting for if we're gonna really go up against this thing what's the point if we're gonna despair and let go of who we are in our culture right um what is it like for you to be back in a world that you've been in before not just playing the same part uh you know doing the same play but with a lot of the same people you know uh and with so many classmates and stuff i know you've worked on things with classmates since he left but this is kind of a particular thing right to to give another shot at a thing you've done before what is what has that world been like working with everybody it's really special i mean we just started so you know i'll tell you as it goes but right now it's great right. it feels like almost like picking up where you left off like you know there's always so much more to uh find and especially in a play that's really well written um right. 
And so it, it really does kind of feel like all the, you know, like when you start a new show or you're with new people, sometimes there's like nerves and all these things. And really sitting down with everybody, it was like, oh, we're like back home. Like we're coming, we're coming back together and, and picking up where we left off and there's no sweat, you know, um, right. it's a difficult thing we're doing, but it's, it, it, it feels like, <laughs> like it was meant to be. How does it feel doing something in a new space? Like, is it hard for you not to see yourself back in RJR? Like, are you, or, you know, like, you, cause you have these memories that are, that happened, you did perform the show. And, and so in a way you lived in that world and it was in that space, what is it like moving it into a totally new environment? Like I would imagine it's a little bigger and you've got some space to really play, especially with the drag show element. I mean, what a, what a big part of it. Like does, does being in the new space invigorate you or how, how's that feeling? Yeah, it is. It is exciting to be like, Oh, we're not going to, I'm not going to be like squished behind a curtain where there's like right. this much space yeah. while I'm waiting to make my entrance. Um, it's a little more suited for a drag queen ass. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's exciting. We're like finding new things. I think like a lot, at least I, personally, I'm doing like, a, am like, that's old performance or that old, you know, what it was, it's, it's going to be there. Like, I know it happened. I'm not like, but I'm kind of like, this is the things that we're meant to like see over are mm-hmm. going to see through and the things right. that aren't are going to stay back in the past, but it it is it's it's a really cool thing to get a second chance to do a part like i've never done that before so that's like totally exciting this is something that i'm really curious about and i might talk to everybody about this just because i think this is so it's not something that i've tried to spend time on but i see a lot of it what is it like being in this is going to sound like a really almost boring question but i think because it's so simple is why it interests me so much what is it like being in New York City of all places, you know, like the center of American theater and going, hey, come see our play? <laughs> like, I know I know that you may not know us from TV's this and Netflix's that or whatever, but it's like, ta- what is it like to make the argument to people, come out and see this Holocaust play with these actors in it and and to try to get that off the ground? And because anytime I feel like, especially with theater, even the actors are making the case to people of come fucking see this show. Like you, right. you got to hustle getting people there. And that is from the stage manager to the producers, to the actors, everyone's saying it. What is it like for you to be involved in this real ground up, uh, grassroots kind of, uh, play producing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is just that it's like, you have to constantly make the case to people to see it, especially something that's a little darker in right. conceit. Um, you have to, yeah, you just, you just kind of got to like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think like we have such a good community, which is exciting, but we're trying to like branch out, of course. Sell, you know, these tickets. Yeah, it's one thing to be, tell all your classmates, come check us out and they probably will, but it's like, right. obviously you want to bring in other people. Right. And I think a lot of it is also like why, when you do any play, like the why now, like, why are we doing this now? What's the reason? And I do think we live in a time that's scary and, and and in some ways reflecting of that time where um, there is almost like a boom in like uh, identity and like all of these things, which is great, but it's, and so it's like, we can relate to what, you know, is, is, is going on in this play and kind of making that case of like this, you need to see this, like 
this is important now. Right. Um, that and yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, there's part of the case right to be made that, <laughs> and this is I think what's going to continue to be important for theater creators, right? There are a series of plays that were produced before, let's call it, let's put the cutoff at like 1940. There are a series of plays made before that from Shakespeare to Chekhov to all this different stuff that people accept like, oh, you should go see that at some point when when it's being done. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, they're doing a real production of Romeo and Juliet, not some high school shit. Like some, they're really doing the play. It's a really fucking good play. It's one of the greatest plays of all time. Like, you really should go check out Hamlet. Like, you know, these things that we we believe, even Streetcar, you know, Tennessee uh-huh. Williams, people are like, oh, I mean, right. you got a chance to see it. Go see fucking Streetcar. There's a new age of plays, you know, and, and that we, I think, I almost, I shouldn't say we maybe because I haven't made theater in a minute, but like the people who are actively creating these works and celebrating these uh, plays are, I feel like part of the argument is like bent deserves that same kind of attention. Like it's that good of a play. Don't miss a chance to go see this. Even if by chance, and of course this isn't you guys, it's not the best production in the world. Like the play is that fucking important. Angels in America. Like, yeah, that's great. You know what? That's a great example of like, it's a, contemporary play but don't miss it like you have to go check this out i feel like that's part of the argument you're making with bend that's a really good point it is such a good play and when you say it people aren't like if you say angels in america people are like yeah yeah i've heard of that of course every theater student but bent is not totally one of those yet and i think it's it's done a good amount but that is such a good point it's kind of you got me excited it's kind of like we're like choosing the like classics of now you really uh, are that's exactly ways. what my point is yeah and yeah. and when you say why here why now that is the kind of easy thing maybe about older plays is you're like, mm. well, why here? Why now? It's like, well, cause fucking choosing whether or not life is worth living is always a question. So when is it not a good time to do Hamlet? Like right. that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. When is that not relevant? It's relevant right. always. Right, right. That's why we still do it all this time later. But when a play is not 400 years old, it's harder to make the case that it will survive the test of time. And, also, when you haven't had, and I could be mistaken here, I don't want to misspeak, but has the has Bent been a film or a TV series or? A, it has been a film. It, it has, has been a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was uh, in the film? Like I, super Hollywood celebrities, or was it like TV movie action? I think so. I I only really remember that uh, Mick Jagger played Greta. That's what I want to say. I could have. That's I think amazing. Right. Yeah, and. Uh, and there is someone else. Kira's thumbing up me. Um, and there is Clive Owen. <laughs> Clive Owen. Clive oh, okay, Owen. word up. Yeah, yeah. So there is a movie, but it's also not a really well-known. Like I never heard of it before. Right. And and yeah. either uh, probably a combination of like distribution, marketing, maybe quality. Let's not say that until we see it. But it's not Angels in America. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. It didn't grab everybody's attention so that they were like, oh shit, the next time someone's doing that, we're gonna go fucking see it like that. Oh my God, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. And um, so until that exists, because unfortunately one of the best ways to market a play is for there to be a really fucking good movie version of it. Because then you can point to it and go, that thing that you guys, I'm telling you, you gotta come check it out. It's gonna be great. Um, But I love that you guys are a part of making that case for Bent. And 
as an intellectual property saying like, this will be worth your time or we wouldn't be doing it. It's not yeah. just for us to do a fun thing. And you can kind of tell because bent is not exactly, in my opinion, the kind of content you're like, it'll just be fun. Let's just do bent. You know what I mean? What What is it? <laughs> <laughs> we're all in rehearsal. Like we just did the first read and we're all like bawling, crying. Like it's right. not fun to put yourself in those positions. I mean, we all like we crave that shit, but like. Sure. It, it, but there's like, a reason to go through it. What is that reason yeah. for you? Oh, golly. Um, you know, I kind of, it, the I, reading it this time and recently, like the idea of identity is huge throughout the play. Mm-hmm. And for myself, like we, I still struggle with identity. I think everyone has to struggle with identity, even though we live in a climate that is very open and accepting. But I mean, Even, but it's also very quick to call people out if they're not playing the fucking game right. It is a exactly. very tough time. It's like you can be this, that, or the other, but if you have any thoughts or opinions, right? shut up. You right. know, it's like... And and I think the play is an opportunity. You get to see a, uh, a character go through that and, and find his identity. Right. And that is like, you know... I mean, for me, I think like that's what connects to me so much, at least of recent is the, and and that's kind of why I guess that's my way in a little bit is, is finding out who you are. Even my character, uh, you know, has a, has a wife and kids and, you know, and is, is a bisexual man. And that is, you know, at, at the time, like every character is kind of struggling with identity in their, in right. their own way. And, yeah, that that I relate to that a lot. I mean, you think about the 30s. I we're not super accepting of bisexuals now. I like know, yeah. still in LGBTQ communities, it's like there are still plenty of people who identify as one of those letters who are like, yeah, but pick one. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. I I would say like it, it's still a thing. So imagine back then being like, so wait, you're gay? And he's like, no, I'm bisexual. And it's like, no, you're either gay. Or you're right. not like that's right. we're like 20 minutes away from that being how people talk about it. So imagine yeah. the 30s like it's absolutely uh, it's super interesting, man. And I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm hoping that there's going to be a really solid taping of this that I'm going to be able to catch. No, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. I'm really excited for you. I think this is going to be a fucking awesome production. I'm pumped. And thank you for having me on at the elephants. So uh. happy to, buddy. <laughs> All right. 100%. Take it easy, dude. So I've been reading about This episode of At the Elephants was produced and recorded by Rob Morris and Kira Geiger in Austin, Texas and New York City, and as always with music from Daniel Lamone and Max Stamper Brown. <laughs>